I've noticed as I get older that the font becomes larger uh, that I have to make so I can see it from more than two feet away. So that's the cool thing about iPads. You can make it as big as you want to. So pretty soon I'll have one word per page. And uh, I'll just be flipping as fast as I can through the whole deal. So, yeah. We've in a, been in a series this summer. Uh, we took a break last week uh, from it, and I interviewed a young man who was planting a church over in Sunnyland. And many of you were ex- uh, expressed uh, that was encouraging and, and, and inspiring. But we're back this week to the series we began a few weeks ago. This is the seventh week of this series, talking about the whole thing in, uh, of, about relationships, uh, some secrets to building healthy relationships in a real sense. And they come out of a passage of Scripture uh, that we began with, we continued with every week. It comes out of Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. And this is from the New Living Translation. It says this, it says, When the Holy Spirit controls our lives, uh, He will produce this kind of fruit in us. And then it mentions nine fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we've talked about the first six. So we're in verse uh, number seven now, faithfulness today. Faithfulness. And we're going to be talking about that. Now today I want to share with you this. This message today is probably the hardest of all the messages I've preached in this whole series. Not because it's not biblically clear. It's incredibly biblically clear. But the thing I'm going to talk about today is probably the most emotional of all of the things that we deal with when we talk about how to keep good relationships. Faithfulness. You know that uh, the census data shows that 96% of all Americans will eventually marry? 96%. So if you're been married, are married, thinking about getting married, whatever, uh, you know, this, obviously this is going to hit a lot of you today. Yeah. Uh, maybe 4% of you, marriage is not, not something you're thinking about or maybe not done, but this is something that's uh, very prevalent in, in our United States. Yet when people walk down the aisle, I found that at, at their wedding, they're not expecting failure. What are they expecting? Success. They're, they're expecting, they're hopeful. Uh, they're, they're hoping that their relationship will last a lifetime. And, uh, but it, I want to tell you something, and I think you know this, and I'm not, I don't think I've told you anything in this series you didn't already know. I just reminded you of stuff. Um, it takes more than hope to make a marriage last. Uh, it, it takes commitment, and it takes commitment in a lot, of, uh, a, lot of, a lot of areas. How many of you would say, don't raise your hands on this, this is just something to think about, okay? How many of you say it is easier to get married than to stay married? I think all of us understand that, you know, it's... Uh, you know, I, I tell young couples when I'm doing premarital counseling, I'm telling you, you know, you got to go get a marriage license, and that marriage license is actually a learner's permit. That's what it is. It, you, you get that, and it's not like, oh, I've arrived. No, it's a learner's permit. You're, you're learning, you're, you're committing to learning how to live with somebody else in a committed relationship. And so it's a whole lot easier. So today we're going to look at the, the seventh of the nine secrets of healthy relationships, faithfulness. And the title today is this. Uh, if you look at the title on your bulletin, you're going like, really? Uh, yeah, how to affair-proof your marriage. Um, we're going to be talking about the whole area of faithfulness in marriage and how it deals with in regards, particularly in regard to sex. Um, because that is one of the most powerful emotions and powerful components of relationships. Now in Hebrews 13, 4, it says this. It says, marriage is to be honored by all, and husbands and wives must be faithful to each other. God will judge those who are immoral and those who commit adultery. Now, I can't, can't get any clearer than that in, in the Bible. You know, it's just straightforward. It's not one of those gray areas of Scripture we talk about. Uh, we need to remember that God invented marriage and he invented sex. Man, what a great God! 
Y'all don't get that, do you? He thought it up. He thought up sex. He thought up marriage. But like every gift, it must be controlled, and and there are limitations to it. Every gift of God is good, but there's limitations. For instance, water. Is water a good gift from God? You ever been underwater and thought you were going to drown? I have. And uh, that at that point, you know, too much water, underwater too long is not a good, good thing. You got to be, you know, got to deal with it. You got to, you got to be careful. Fire is fire a good gift? Sure it is, man. If you're, you know, if you if you're cold and you and you you put a fire in a fireplace, it warms the family. But fire out of control will burn you up. So there are, peri- there are perimeters and parameters that God has made for sex as well. Because if you disobey those parameters, it causes guilt, it causes shame, it causes anguish, fear, and all kinds of relational problems. And so we're going to talk today, I just want to share with you, I don't have to really tell you today how, how affairs happen, do I? Well, in the context of that, I want to talk about how to make sure that you do as much as you possibly can to affair-proof your marriage, though, the relationship. If you're not married yet, this is great information before you get there. If you messed up, hey folks, God is a God who will take you to the next. We're going to talk about that at the end today as well. So I want to share with you six ways, six quick ways about affair-proofing your marriage. Number one, those of you taking notes on on your outline, this is the the fill-in-the-blank part, okay? Some of you love to do that. Some of you don't, fill-in-the-blanks, who wants to do that? Yeah, it's not manly. Okay, uh, I see a lot more women taking notes than men. Okay, by the way, just just said that. Okay, Um, number one, make a commitment to God's standard. The first thing, if we're going to have a relationship based upon God's plan, we have to make a commitment to God's standard. Does that make sense? You make a commitment to God's standard. God's standard has never changed. God says, I invented sex for marriage, not before marriage, not outside of marriage, not with somebody else you're, you're not married to. I invented sex for marriage. And you've got to first make that commitment. Uh, Psalm 119.9 says, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? And the answer is, by living according to your word. God says it very clearly. See, adultery is never an option under no circumstances is it ever right. But somebody will say, well, but, but, but my mate is not meeting my needs. No, I'm sorry. That is not a justification for adultery. It's not a justification for adultery. The thing is, two wrongs don't make a right. Long before government came into existence, God created marriage, and he said it in, and, and I use this in every time I uh, do a wedding ceremony, in Genesis 2 it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall be, and, and then will be joined to his wife, and they will become one flesh. So God defined what marriage is, but we have to be committed to his standard. And then also there's other verses as well. In Proverbs, for instance, Proverbs 5.15 says this. It says, be faithful to your own wife and give your love to her. Can y'all finish reading it? Alone. Alone. Okay, alone. Let me explain something. This is not a suggestion. This is from God. This is a commandment. There are things in Scripture, in in the Greek and in the Hebrew, that it's very clear. This is a commandment. Of God. God is saying, for your own good. This is not just I'm being an angry God and I want to control you. No, I want to give you the best in life. God has the best, wants to have the best for us. So we have to make a commitment to confirm our commitment to God's standard. You know, it's interesting, uh, this past weekend, actually this past week, on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we had a denominational convention. And one of our speakers on Friday was a guy named Scott McKnight, who's a professor at Northern Seminary. And I, and I was thinking, just to be honest with you, there was three or four speakers lined up, and I looked at the line, and I'm going, like, this guy's going to be boring. He's a professor at a seminary. Because I've been to seminary, and I've heard a lot of professors. They had great information, but horrible communicators sometimes. 
This guy was awesome. Man, I learned from him so much. I thought he was one of the best speakers there, and the other guys were great. But he talked about one thing that really I wanted to share with you here in regard to this commitment to God's standard. I think sometimes we don't understand clearly what God's standard is for marriage. One of the things we talk about all the time when we talk about in Scripture is that the Bible says that marriage is a covenant relationship. But we don't understand what a covenant is. The Hebrew word barit is, is a word that means covenant. It's, it's best shown in God's covenant with Abraham. Basically means this, and I, this is what I learned. I, I never heard it said this way, but I thought it's great. He says a covenant is a rugged commitment to another person. A rugged commitment to another person. Not just a commitment, but a rugged commitment to another person. And it means it's, you make a commitment in three areas, to be with it's about proximity and presence. It's about being with the person. I'll make this commitment that no matter how hard it is, I'm going to be with you and, and I'm going to be there for you. That's the second one, to be for you, an advocate, is to be on their side. When you make a commitment to somebody else, a covenant relationship in marriage, it means I make a commitment to be, be with you, close to you, and to be for you. I'm going to be your advocate. And you know that I'm going to be your advocate. You make it incredibly clear. But then the third part, which makes it totally uh, goes against everything that culture says, is this commitment, this covenant, is a, is a rugged commitment with and for someone, but unto, the Bible uses this term, unto Christ's likeness. It means, that to, it means that I am going to be for you what Christ wants me to be, and I'm going to be transformed into what, what God means for us to be together. It means that I'm going to be following Christ in this relationship in such a way that what I do would be what Christ would do. That's what a covenant relationship is. That is what God's standard is for marriage. It's not just two people walking down an aisle having all, you know, goosebumps and going, oh, yes, it's wonderful. And then, you know, and they thinking, you know, and when the first time comes along and things don't feel good, you know, and they take off and find somebody else. No, it's a rugged commitment to be with somebody for somebody, and to be like Christ to that person. That's God's standard. Number one, we need to make a commitment to God's standard. If we're going to be, have the kind of marriages and the kind of relationships and a fair proof of our marriage. Number two, we need to, if something happens, not even before, not if something happens, we need to do this. We need to magnify the consequences. We need to magnify the consequences of living outside of God's standard. Proverbs 6.32 says, But the man who commits adultery is an utter fool, for he destroys himself. I, I don't know if I need to tell, talk to you about it. If you've not experienced it yourself, and I hope you haven't, if you've seen it around, you know this. Nothing damages the emotions like sexual sin. Nothing does. I don't care how much you rationalize it and say everybody's doing it, the scars are permanent, and you know it, the guilt, the fear, the shame, all the rationalization in the world will compensate for it. The sense of loss is for everyone. It's huge. Let me tell you something. The reason I'm being so, so hard about this is because, so blatant about this, is because I cannot tell you how many times over the years in counseling people have come to me that have already gone through the hardships of, of adultery and, and affairs and, and, and broken marriages and everything and said, if I could just turn back the clock, I'd give anything to take back and turn back the clock and undo what I did because it's so painful. Jesus said it's better to lose an eye than for you to lose your soul. And I, and I believe he's talking about this. One of these things is about adultery. Proverbs 6 says adultery will cost a man all that he has. 
That's what I just said. See, a lot of people are selling out their lives. They're buying into a lie that culture says, you know, sex is just something you do for fun. It's recreational. It's not. It's not. So we need to, we need to mag- magnify the consequences uh, it, 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 with what would happen if we do go outside God's parameters. One of the ways that I do this is this. I, I, I have to, let me just tell you, I've been married to my wife Vicki for now. This Tuesday will be our 36th wedding anniversary. And uh, I remember that, honey, I really do, okay? Uh, the reason I do is because I put it on my calendar in a month out and a, and a week out and for three weeks out and two weeks out. I put, remember your, uh, your anniversary dummy. And uh, another story, another time, first anniversary, that's another story. Um, by the grace of God, let me tell you this, by the grace of God, she is the only woman I have ever known physically in all my life. And by the grace of God, I intend that to be true the rest of my life. Why? Three reasons. Number one, I love my wife and kids. The thought of hurting my wife or the thought of hurting my children is almost unbearable for me to think of. I can't imagine. I have seen what happens secondhand when people go through affairs and other things. I've seen it. You know, and it's always better to learn from somebody else's mistakes than doing it yourself. Number two, I love Jesus Christ. Everything I have, I owe to him. He died for me on the cross. He gives me meaning and purpose in my life today. Jesus said, if you love me, he says, you will keep my commandments. That's what he says. So to say I love Jesus and to ignore what he says about sex and its parameters is hypocrisy. And number three, and we don't like to talk about this one, I honestly fear the judgment of God. I don't think anything's wrong with that. Some healthy fear is good in our lives. We don't talk about this like, it, it says, once again, back to what I read earlier in Hebrews 13, 4, the last part of that verse says, God will judge those who are immoral and those who commit adultery. To God, this is serious business. And if you want to know how serious sin is, look at the cross. It's that serious. Sin was so powerful and so destructive that God had to send his son to die on a cross for our sins. It's not just something we say, oh, that wasn't a big deal, you know, and go on. No, God said there will be a day of accountability, and I want to be ready for that day. Frankly, let me tell you the truth, I'm worried about America. I don't know if you are as a country, but I'm worried about our country because, look, I'm a history crazy person. I love to read history. Now, some of you are going like, history is so boring. History is so instructive. Because in a study of 88 civilizations, the world's great 88 civilizations throughout history, study shows that a great civilization will either have an era of great achievement or an era of sexual promiscuity. And every time, without, without exception in history, throughout the world, when a society becomes sexually promiscuous, that cre- it drains the creativity out of that society in about a generation. And it drains the energy out of society, and the society goes into backwards. And we're going backwards sometimes, folks, as a society, in regard to that. Honestly, if we were teaching drug education the way we teach sex education in our schools, we'd be passing out needles and tell them just to do it safely. And that is foolish. 
plain foolish. So we need to magnify the consequences of what happens if you go outside God's parameters. Number three. This is a positive one. The last two were kind of like, eh, you know, this is a positive one. Okay. I need to maintain my marriage. If I'm going to affair-proof my marriage, I have to maintain my marriage. 1 Corinthians 3, 7 says this, A man should fulfill his duty as a husband, and a woman should fulfill her duty as a wife, and each should satisfy, satisfy the other's needs. How many of you have been married more than five minutes It's married? No, don't raise your hand. No, I, you know, it's just a dumb question. If you've been married more than five minutes, you've discovered something if you're married. And if you're not married, I will tell you this is the fact. Men and women are generally not alike. You're going, really? Yeah. Yeah, because there's a study. I, I will recommend this highly. I've recommended it before, recommended it again. There's a book by a guy who's a, a psychiatrist from, from Minnesota. His name is Dr. Willard Harley. Uh, like Harley Davidson, he's not Dr. Willard Harley, and he wrote a book called His Needs, Her Needs years ago. It was a study of an, an, a survey done of thousands of men and women across the United States asking them the question, what are, and it had a whole list of top needs. And let me give you the top five needs of men, of most men. Top five needs of most men, according to this survey of thousands, and I'm going to give you the top five needs of most women. And as you listen to them, see if it don't match up at all. I'll give you a clue. They don't. Number one for men, this should be no surprise, sexual fulfillment. Number one need for men. Does that surprise any of you women? Probably not, okay? Number two, top need of men, recreational companionship. That basically means somebody to, to have fun with. You know, recreational companionship. Guys, that's a big deal for guys. Number three, an attractive spouse. You don't wear like gigantic granny gowns to bed. You know, you just got, you got to wear something, you know, and you, and, you look, and you take care of yourself. That's a big deal to men. Okay? Now, not, that's pretty shallow, but men are pretty shallow sometimes. Okay? Let's just be honest about that. Number four, domestic support. Now, th there's a whole, domestic support means basically you're there to help do all the domestic stuff, <laughs> whatever that means in your family. It doesn't mean you do all the cooking and cleaning, but it does mean that you're there to support in that as well. And number five, the top five, fifth top need of men is admiration. Admiration. Men really appreciate it when you say, honey, I really appreciate you. <laughs> That's the top five needs of men. Now, let's talk about the top five needs of women, okay? Number one. Top five needs of women, most women, in a survey of thousands of women. Number one, affection. Now let me define what that means for half of you. And you know which half I'm talking about. Women know exactly what I mean when I say affection. Affection means non-sexual touching. Now let me define what that means. <laughs> it means touching that does not lead beyond touching. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you got it? You know, come to your wife, put your arms around her, honey, hug her, and then it goes on and you don't have any other further thoughts. Maybe thoughts, but not actions, okay? <laughs> Number two, top five needs of women. Conversation. Does this surprise any of you guys? 
Conversation. Women, one of the top needs of, uh, of uh, top five needs of women. Number two is conversation. They want to talk. Even when you don't want to talk, they want to talk. Conversation. Number three, honesty and openness. Honesty and openness. They want a relationship where we're honest and open. Number four, financial support. They want to feel secure that they're not going to have to go and, you know, live on the street. That they can live indoors and, you know, whatever. Number five, family commitment. Family commitment. You're not committed just to, you're committed to the family as the, as the highest priority before your business, before your job, before anything else. Except for God, for Christians. So, did any of those match? Not one. <laughs> so, if I'm going to maintain my marriage, and, and I'm going to do what it says in first, this verse in 1 Corinthians 3, uh, I think it's 3.7, it's 7.3, uh, maybe I'll reverse that. A man should fulfill his duty as a husband, and a woman should fulfill her duty as a wife, and each should satisfy the other needs. If you just do what you think, if you're basing it upon your needs, and try to fulfill that, guess what? You're going to miss out almost every time. Because, man, you're not married to another man. And women, you're not married to another woman. You need to understand what they are. So, you see the point? It is no wonder that we have so much conflict in marriage. Dr. Holly says that about the only way to get around that is that each of us, person in marriage, needs to decide they're going to get serious about finding out what the other person's needs are and to meet those needs to the best of our ability. One of the biggest areas of conflict in marriage is over one area, the physical area of marriage, though. And so going back to what it says in 1 Corinthians 7, 5, it says, do, and it says this clearly in 7, 5, do not deprive each other of sexual relations. So, and then it goes further, a little bit further in the verse, it says, so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. See, sex is a, it's a spiritual responsibility in a relationship, in a marriage, and it's very exclusive, uh, exclusive relationship. See, when you get married, one of the things that'll help you to have, make sure you're a fair proof your marriage, is you make a commitment that says, I will limit my physical sexual expressions just to you and no one else will be involved. So we've got to deal with that and we have to make that commitment. We've got to maintain our marriage. Number four, if I'm going to fair proof my marriage, keep my marriage going in the right direction, number four, I've got to manage my mind i got to manage my mind. Now, I think we know this, what I'm about to say, but we have to be reminded. People don't just fall into immorality. They're not moral and upright one day, and the next day they have an affair. It never happens that way. It's a creeping process. There's always been a series of events that precede. Every person that I've counseled with, every person that's talked to me about this, basically I can tell you, tell you they go through four stages. Number one, step one, accepting sinful thoughts into their mind. The battle in any temptation begins and ends in our mind, thinking about things. Uh, James 1, 14 and 15 says, Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires uh, give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. If your mind wasn't such a big deal, Madison Avenue would not be spending billions of dollars a year to try to influence the way you think. And that's what they're doing. They know what influences you and what, uh, what you feel and how you feel is eventually going to influence how you act. 
2 Timothy 2.22 says this, Turn your back on lustful desires and give your positive attention to goodness, integrity, love, and peace. Romans 16.19 says, I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. I think in America today, we're exactly the opposite. We're, we're wise about what is evil and innocent about what is good. We need to be, have responsibility toward the way we think about things. See, nobody, let me, let me say, say this to you. Nobody but you and God know what you're thinking. Even the person in this closeness to you, sitting right next to you, don't have a clue about what you're thinking right now. You know that? Is that good? Probably. But the reality is, the reality is, is nobody else thinks. Uh, so, so the responsibility before God is to be your own thought policeman. You're responsible before God. You know what movies you can see, what CDs bring up feelings, which um, CDs, that's an, old, that's an old idea, isn't it? MP3s? Uh, <laughs> which books you, can, you can't read, which TV shows you can watch, and which ones uh, send you running to the shower? I mean, that's happens on TV. I mean, TV is no longer just a safe place to, to watch. You know what? You have to be responsible for God to guard your thoughts. And if you don't, it can lead to the next step. And the next step is not physical. The next step, step two, is after letting thoughts into your mind, is emotional, non-physical involvement. It always starts there. Letting thoughts in. And then secondly, emotional, non-physical involvement. To assume that all is well between a man and a woman just because there is no physical contact is a huge mistake. What I mean by emotional affair is when you find yourself attached to a person and attracted to a person other than your spouse. And that person may be able to meet uh, your emotional needs for caring, encouragement, support, um, but, but you don't feel like, well, I'm not physically involved, so it's all right. Well, let me tell you something. That's where it starts. And if you, let, if you hang out there too long, if you hang out there too long, you'll have all kinds of problems. You know, truthfully, I don't think unbelievers spend a lot of time in this area. But I think Christians do. Because we're not having physical involvement, we think that this emotional, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm just helping a person. And so we listen. Folks, let me, let me, let me, sh- that's dumb. <laughs> that's just plain dumb to hang out there. Let me tell you what it says in Solomon, a Song of Solomon 8, 6. It says, close your heart to every love but mine. And that Solomon was talking uh, about a husband to a wife there. Step three. If you hang out there very much, emotional, non-physical involvement, number, step three will happen, physical involvement. Do I need to explain that? That's, that's the step. The line has been crossed. There's actual physical contact. Um, and let me tell you this, from what people have told me and talked to me about this over the years, um, there have been an, an affair, that have been in affairs frequently, the intensity of passion and emotion is stronger than anything they ever experienced in their marriage. And there's all kinds of psychological reasons behind that, but I won't go into all those. But you don't need to cross the line to physical involvement. Don't put yourself in a situation where you have to break the covenant your relationship with someone else. It's deadly and it's wrong. And once that happens, you think, well, that's done. No. The fourth thing is this. Step four is rationalizing the affair. We're great at pulling the wool over our eyes, saying we can convince ourselves that everything is okay. We can talk ourselves into anything we want to if it's bad enough. Jeremiah 17, 9 is one of my favorite verses in Scripture. I hate it. 
Because it says this. The reason I hate it is because it's so true. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? You ever said to yourself, Why do I think that? Why do I keep thinking that? Why do I keep, you know. You know, some excuses I've heard over the years of rationalizing is this. If my own, only my husband or wife met my needs, I wouldn't have done this. And I'll say, well, you need to cut it out. You know? And they say, well, no, just one more time. Or, we love each other. Let me tell you something. True love will never fracture another person's family. That's not love. It's four letters, but it starts with an L and it ends with UST, but it's not love. Another couple of rationalizations is this. This is Christians. God will forgive me no matter what I do. Is that true? Yeah. But be careful assuming upon God things because God also expects repentance. And that's not repentance. That's just rationalization. See, I think it's arrogant to presume on God, on the grace of God that way. Don't deceive yourself. Stop rationalizing. Okay, so step four, in a real sense here, is manage your mind. Number five, step five. Five minutes to cover two steps. Wow. Oh, well. We'll do it. Okay. Number five, maintain proper relations. Maintain proper relations. Studies have shown that most affairs occur where? Did anyone know? Between close personal friends, coworkers, and family members. Most relationships occur in relationships with people like, uh, uh, in, 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 you know, brother-in-law, sister-in-laws, things like that. Okay, some of you looking like, okay, a family member. No, not that kind of. <laughs> I saw some of those looks like, okay. See, all of us have to live in the world, right? Most of us have not joined a convent recently, and we're probably not. And so because we live in the world, um, You've got to make, be able to maintain relations with other people. But you know what Ephesians 5, 3 says? It says this. It says, but among you, there must, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. Let me give you two suggestions about how to keep this safe. Number one, don't listen. This goes back to what we talked about managing your mind. Don't listen to a member of the opposite sex complain to you about his or her spouse. Do not ever listen. Oh, but, you know, I just want to be their friend. You're also an idiot. I'm just telling you right up front. If you think that is smart and it's going to lead to anything healthy, if somebody has a problem, get them a, a person, a, a friend that's going to be somebody, a, a woman, get a, have a woman who you talk to, a man, have a man you talk to. Do not do it of people of the opposite sex. Let me tell you something, you know, somebody are going to like, Pastor, you don't understand because you don't live in the real world, you know. <laughs> oh. Let me explain something to you about counseling. <laughs> I cannot tell you how many times if I had to let my guard down, not because I'm just a hunk, you know, but because, <laughs> because I, didn't, I used to think that was true. I was so, you know, all these women are just attracted. You know. No, it's emotional. It was all this, I was listening to them. All they were looking for from their, from their, their husband was somebody to listen to them, and I was listening to them. And, and so what happened was is a good, I was a good listener, 
Counselors have to be incredibly careful about that. So I have kind of some rules about counseling now in regard to the office and everybody in the office who counsels. Number one is this. Number one, you never counsel. I never counsel somebody the opposite sex after hours unless somebody else is in my office. We have windows in our offices so you can see in. You cannot have total privacy. Number two, I never go to somebody's house unless I know that there's going to be at least two people there at the time of talking to them. You're going like, well, you're really, really hard. No, no. Let me tell you how many pastors I've seen fall because of not obeying this dumb rules, which aren't dumb at all. Number three, don't ever travel with somebody of the opposite sex if you can help it. Now, in ministry, we can control that. I know in the business world, that might not be as easy, but you need to try to do everything you can not to do that. And I could go through a whole list. I got a whole bunch of commandments for my staff about not how to maintain good things. But basically, just, just be careful about those things. If, if, you, if, you, if you listen, if somebody of the opposite sex starts to complain to you about his or her spouse, just direct them towards somebody of their, of their same sex that they can talk to. And number two, another suggestion about, about uh, maintaining proper relationship is be aware of a sense of electricity between you and another person. By this I mean you're standing in a group of people talking and all of a sudden you're aware of this catching another person's eye, this kind of a buzz that goes on between you and you go, what was that? You weren't expecting it, you weren't looking for it, but there it was, it happened. What do you do? I think you have two options as a believer of Jesus Christ. You can flatter your ego, feed your ego, and say, like, for me, I'm after 36 years of marriage, somebody else besides my wife's attracted to me, and you're going to go, oh, yeah, that's great. That's dumb. Number two, you can move backwards, either get closer to your wife or your husband, um, and do something that signifies, I am not interested. I am not interested. And you got to get rid of that electricity because it may be there, and you just got to deal with it okay number six final if we're gonna have good relationships and 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 a fair proof of our marriages you need to minimize the opportunity minimize the opportunity if you don't want to get stung stay away from the bees there are three things i want to suggest here number one recognize the kind of situations that stimulate or tempt you first uh, corinthians 10 12 so be careful if you think, if you're thinking, this is, this is, this is I call this the, 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 per, the cocky person's verse. If you think, if, if you're thinking, oh, I would never behave like that, let this be a warning to you, for you too may fall into sin. I realize there are a good number of you who are thinking right now, oh, this will never happen to me. Yeah. You're the ones probably in the greatest danger. Because it can happen to anybody. I have, I have been shocked. and It takes a lot to shock me now, <laughs> after 30-some years of ministry, about stories. But I've been shocked many times about people that have fallen into, into this area of sin. Because they let, everything looks so good and on the outside, but they let their guard down. So if you're, ever, if you're saying... Uh, uh, it, what you need to say is this, given the right circumstances, anybody can commit any sin. So you need to recognize the situations that tempt you. Number two, choose your friends carefully. 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty three. bad company corrupts good character. Again, most affairs happen between family members, close personal friends, or co-workers. 
If your closest friends do not have the same commitment to their marriage that you have, you need to run. Because they're not going to encourage you in that area. You should, spend, uh, should not spend a lot of time with them. You need people around you who are committed to their marriage like you're, you are to yours. Number three, establishes protective guidelines. Uh, Malachi 2.15. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. Um, <laughs> and I already shared a little bit about this commandments for our staff, but the reality is, is that offices are, are, places, are budding places for romances. You know why? People are all dressed up. They smell good. You know? They look, they're on their best behavior generally. All kinds of things. It's easy to be attracted to somebody in an office setting, so you've got to set some guidelines there as well. As well. So, so, let me close with this. I really believe, matter of fact, I know this has to be true, that in a crowd this large, that there's people who have already broken these guidelines for God. Or maybe in the process, you're here and you're just kind of like, man, I just need to be here and I, just, I don't know why I came here, whatever. Let me, let me explain something to you. I'm glad, so glad to tell you something. If you've already stumbled and fallen in this area, that there's still hope. It's not over. If there's been an affair in your marriage, it doesn't have to kill your marriage. There is hope. But there's steps you need to take and take quickly if you're involved in a relationship that is wrong. If you don't need this personally, maybe these are three steps that you could talk about to somebody around you who are going through these problems. So let me tell you, let me give you the pathway back to purity if you get into a relationship that is wrong with someone. Number one, acknowledge the sin. Acknowledge the sin. You have to be honest with God. This is, this is, this is not right, what I'm doing. David did this in Psalms 51, uh, verses 1 through 4, when he committed adultery. You know, Dave was called a man after God's own heart. I mean, what an incredible... The guy messed up hugely. But his pathway back to purity was the first to admit what he did. You stop rationalizing it. You stop making excuses. You stop... You, you, you say God's standards are very clear about this, and he's never changed his standards. And if I, let me remind you of his standards once again. Premarital sex is unacceptable God. Unacceptable to God. Always has been, always will be. Living together outside of marriage is unacceptable to God. It always has been, always will be. Adultery is unacceptable to God. It always has been, always will be. Homosexuality is unacceptable to God. It always has been, always will be. Pornography is unacceptable to God. Always has been, always will be. There are no gray areas in this, in Scripture. This is black and white. God is very clear about what the rules are to win in life. And that's what he wants you to do. So if you struggle with any of these areas, guess what? You belong here at Great Oaks. <laughs> because, guess what? This is a group of forgiven sinners. Me being the chief. None of us are perfect. But, we ha but we, the one thing that, that re we recognize here is that we're forgiven sinners, but we're striving to follow Christ and do, his, and do what he wants us to do. We're trying to do the right thing, and so that's the first thing is to acknowledge the sin. Number two, if you're in a relationship with someone that's outside of marriage and it's sexual, end the relationship immediately. If you can't stop. 
Take action immediately. Don't delay. If you're in a situation, even an emotional attachment or, or, or a physical affair, whatever you do, do it immediately. And number three, and this is what people don't understand, avoid all contact with that person from now on. Avoid all contact with that person from now on. Do whatever it takes. I'm saying to you, in this relationship, cold turkey, you have no goodbye meeting, no Prefer, uh, you have a good by me, but prefer, preferably by phone. That's it. No calls, no letters, no meetings, no explanations. If you keep calling, you'll have more explanations. You need to practice hanging up the phone. Jesus said, once again, it's better to lose your eye than to lose your soul. And what God wants you to have is not, he's not trying to limit your life. He's trying to help you to have the kind of life that will, that will not just honor him, but will make your life the best it can be. And this is one huge area that we need to deal with. So I want to challenge you as we close today to make two commitments. And they'll produce great blessings in your life. Number one, the first is you make a commitment of your life to Jesus Christ if you've never done so. See, Jesus gave you and me this sex drive. And I want you to guide it, control it, channel it, use it for good, not, destroy, not to destroy you, but use it for good. Not to cause guilt, but to produce grace. So you need to give your life to Christ if you haven't done so. And number two, <laughs> number one's hard. Number one is incredibly hard because it means giving your control of your life over to somebody other than yourself. Number two, though, is just about as hard for many of us. Make a commitment that oh, I will not have sex outside of marriage for the rest of my life what God's plan is. And I will tell you this, you cannot imagine what God will do with you, through you, if you will trust him to provide for your needs rather than try to trust yourself in the way you think is best for you based on what culture says. God, God wants this, and let me tell you, of all the things we've talked about, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, all these different things we've talked about, this is the hardest because we live in such a sexually promiscuous society that it pushes us to the limits and beyond all the time. But folks, God says, once again, going back to the verse in Galatians, he says, when you are in control by the Spirit, when the Spirit controls you, what does he say? He will produce these things in your life. And faithfulness is one of those things he can produce, as tough as it is. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your incredible love and your goodness. We pray that you would enable us this morning to understand this is not one of those sermons where we laugh and have a good time. Um, even though God probably it's one of the most um, important ones for the emotional and health of, of, our, of our marriage relationships and our relationships with others. Help us to make commitments if, uh, uh, you know, you know I'm, I know in our society, uh, it, people just, just act like everything's fine if, you know, sex outside of marriage. And, and God, you know, it's not. And it's not, the, it's not a simply a silver bullet by walking down the aisle and saying yes. It's making a commitment to that person that, that, that is lasting, that covenant commitment, that rugged commitment to someone that will be with them, for them, and will be like Christ unto them. And in doing so, God, that's the kind of relationships that bring us the most joy 
and give us the most happiness. They're not always easy, God, because it means from time to time that even though we made a commitment, that rugged commitment to someone, sometimes we can love someone, not even like them. But God, as you, as we go through this, God, help us to understand that ultimately in life, that you would allow, want to allow, us to allow your spirit to work in us, to produce in us some things that we cannot produce and, and bring up ourselves. And one of these is this idea of faithfulness in all of our relationships. Guide us now, God. Guide us now that we would honor you. And we ask these things. In Jesus' name, amen.